we ought to be thankful for what He does for us and has done. And we could even be thankful for what He's going to do for us. Amen. He certainly is not going to leave us or forsake us. The Bible says that He is a faithful God. So this morning I want you to turn to Luke chapter 23. And I want to preach a couple of sermons this week and uh, maybe next week. And really as long as it lasts here, as long as the Lord shows me some things out of this chapter, I want to preach out of these things and show you some things about it. And... I had the idea this week and really been working on it. I, I was kind of, I don't know if I was lazy or it'd be easy just to say I didn't have time, but it, it, it may as well be honest, amen, from time to time we are lazy regarding our duties and stuff like that, but I didn't spend uh, an extreme amount of time this week preparing uh, for this sermon this morning. The Lord just gave me the, the verse and gave me a thought, uh, Brother Mark. Uh, preached uh, out of verse number 34, Luke 23:34. And while I was sitting there uh, listening, I let myself wonder, which I ought not do, but I happened to notice up there in verse number 27 a verse, and I read it, and the Lord spoke with my heart about preaching on that, and I thought it would be a good idea to preach on it. The thing that got to me is this. I've been preaching now for... Longer than a year, I know it's been longer than a year, with the intent to teach you the Bible. In other words, to uh, this, uh, discipleship, if you will, disciple you in what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches. And that's been my emphasis, and I'm not, I don't think I'll change that emphasis, but for the time being, I want to start putting some emphasis on uh, some different things. And, and I, really, I've taught a lot of things about what the things that you experience on a daily basis here, what you will experience and different things like that. But for the next little while, at least uh, as far as I can see into the future, the Lord's dealing with me about, and I do believe it is the Lord, and I believe a preacher ought to have a message that the Lord dealt with him about. And I believe with all my, I don't believe in just scholarship. And when I say scholarship, I mean some people go and they get in their study and they just come up with a message that they can preach on Sunday. And I've got probably two or three hundred messages in there in my drawer that I've never preached. And I can preach those anytime I want to, but I don't just want to preach a sermon. A sermon, uh, like another fellow has already said, is a dime a dozen. You can make them up, and they are biblical. But I believe uh, that and I see it in my Bible this way, and I interpret it from my Bible this way, that God always has a message that He wants His people to hear. And so I believe it's our job to get that message. And like I say, we can come up with a message any old time. And if you're not prepared, then I guess you can just uh, pull one of those out and maybe it'll be hit hit or miss. Amen? Uh, but what I really feel like is that God has wanted me to uh, deal with you for the last year about the, your mindset towards the gospel, your mindset towards one another, your mindset towards Bible doctrine and trying to help you to understand what they are. And But now I think, uh, and I, it probably will be that going forward because I think that ought to be a part of any ministry. But for the time being, I want to start talking to you about some things that maybe you're not going through right now, but you are definitely going to go through in the future. If you're saved, if you're lost, our futures hold specific things for us. I mean, just for example, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. 
Amen. Amen. And that's, that's going to be more real to you than this world has ever been. Uh, we kind of adapt to this world on a day-by-day basis. We think we might do this, and the Lord told us uh, to think better than that. He said, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. But we go ahead and make plans for tomorrow, don't we? And uh, anybody, the Bible says if a man builds a building, he'll sit down and count the cost, whether he have sufficient uh, to finish it. And so we should figure out and we ought to put some thought and some wisdom behind the things that we do. If you're just completely blank about what you're going to do tomorrow, I kind of feel sorry for you when tomorrow shows up. At least you ought to start in a specific direction anyway. But if the Lord wills, we'll do this or we'll do that. That's the way we ought to approach it. But most nine times out of ten when tomorrow shows up it's going to throw you a curve you didn't expect. And you know, a famous war general said he said, a plan for a battle only lasts until the battle starts. In other words, they sit down and make plans, and we're going to do this, we're going to attack over here, we're going to do this, this, and this. And that plan usually only lasts until the first shot is fired, and then things never go the way that you plan it. Well, that's really the way your life is. And you plan to do this or that, and then something comes up, and there's no question that's going to continue to happen in your uh, right nows in your todays but there are some things that are locked and fixed and sealed in our futures if you're saved you're going to heaven yeah. and if you're lost you're going to hell and those are just two examples of things that will be and those are really because we can't experience those fully right now sometimes you get in a good service where people are awake you feel like you're a little bit little bit in heaven and sometimes when everybody's, you know, uh, cares about the things of the world and nobody's really enthusiastic, it might feel like you're in hell a little bit. Amen. Of course, you may not feel like you're in hell, but you ought to try preaching to a bunch of people who's half asleep and uh, look like their dog just died or something like that. Amen. Yeah. Uh, and you might think about it a little bit differently. But at any rate, I want to start dealing with you a little bit about some realities that are going to uh, be in your life. And they may show up. There are some realities. That'll show up not in heaven. If you're saved, you go to heaven. If you're lost, you'll go to hell. Those are realities. But there are some realities in this life. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. That's a reality that's going to take place. Excuse me, that don't want to look like a uh, you know a mentally handicapped fellow up here. My neck been bothering me this week. I slept on a, a bed that wasn't worth burning. But anyway, uh, I just got the, a picture of what I must have looked like standing up here. <laughs> the man is not dangerous he will be alright uh, but at any rate listen to me here this this life has got some certainties in it and the Bible contains those certainties uh, You, uh, I don't know how many uh, how much you've looked into this stuff and you, really you probably shouldn't look into it but from time to time they'll uh, talk about the world will talk about men like Edgar Casey and Nostradamus and different folks like that predicting about what's going to take place in the future. Uh, but let me tell you this, the, the sure word of prophecy is in your Bible and it will tell you absolutely for certain what's going to take place. I mean, when you read through the book of Daniel, I imagine nobody in, in Daniel's day or in Jesus' day or in 100 A.D. or... 500 A.D. or 700 A.D. probably ever thought that it would be as accurate as it is when you when your Old Testament uh, predicted not not necessarily predicted predicted the word prediction has a 
an uncertain air about it. I predict this is going to, it may or may not happen. But the Bible prophesied that things would happen. And they're happening just... Sometimes you read in the Bible and it, it seems so impossible for some of these things to happen. But when they begin to happen, you think, well, there it is. It's happening right before your face. And we live in a world of turmoil and violence. But at the same time, we live in a world that's coming together into what that what people call a one world I mean people describe it as a one world government and stuff like that but the Bible really doesn't talk about a one world government like like you hear about on the news and stuff like that in other words everybody thinks that the whole country or the whole world is going to be one nation uh, indivisible that's not going to be even in a one world government the Bible says that there's going to be different kingdoms and different nations and when the Lord comes back he doesn't judge one nation that's made up of the world he judges the nations and some of those nations have been good to Israel and some of them have been bad to Israel so you can see that in your Bible that the world is never going to be fully fixed under one government but the world will be influenced by one man underneath several different governments and how many governments that will be I don't know but we know those things for certain we see these things happen in the Bible and we're amazed at the accuracy of the Bible sometimes our interpretations get changed by things that happen and things that uh, that show up and when they show up we say well right there it is in the Bible I can't hardly believe that and you would never uh, thought that uh, that men would get hard-hearted towards their own children and stuff like that. But the Bible says it would happen. And will. And you, you read in the Old Testament that children will rule over their parents. You would never thought that that would be the case. How could that possibly be? But it is. It is in our day coming into fruition. That, that it's going to, The Bible says there will be a time when women rule over the men. And that's coming to pass very quickly. And there, you know, somebody told me one time I was starting a roofing business. And they said, you need to put that in your wife's name. And I said, well, how come that? And they said, well, if you put it in your wife's name, you get government contracts. You turn in a government contract, and if it's got a woman's name as the president, they put it right on top for consideration. And that's just, I mean, just simple things like that. And, hey, praise God, if you're a woman, got a business, go for it. Amen. I'm not talking about anything bad like that. But the Bible says that a man ought to rule his home. Rule. Have that dirty word, ain't it? Rule. Be in charge. Didn't say your wife can't have no input. Doesn't say she's not wise or smart enough to have ideas. But when a decision needs to be made, you need to make it and trust God with it. Amen. And go on. We're not preaching on that. But what I'm really talking about is the the uh, importance that we ought to place on what the Bible says is going to happen in our lives and in our future. And sometimes we get so caught up in right now, what's happening right now, that that's all we can see. And that's all we really care about is making it through right now. And there is some wisdom in that. I, you know, if, if, if your house is burning down, don't sit around wondering about what's going to happen tomorrow. Amen. Get out. Get out. <laughs> jump through a window or jump through the door or whatever you've got to do. But you've got to adjust your daily schedule to what's going on. I do understand that. I wouldn't be so foolish to say that. And then on the other hand, the Bible says, let the things that are of tomorrow take care of that. But there's some biblical things 
that the Lord tells us is going to happen that we certainly need to be mindful of. And in order to do that, in order to do that, you're going to have to be spiritually minded. If you're carnally minded and this world is all you care about, you're not going to care too much about the wages of sin is death. You're just going to care about what I can do right now. And so I hope you see what I'm driving at. I want to get your mindset off of the things of this world and on to the things of God. And how many times have we... I'll read the Scripture here in a minute, I promise. But how many times have we uh, talked about Jesus, for example? And I'm going to preach to you about Jesus a little bit this morning. But how many times have we seen uh, the... Uh, manger scene. And you know that's under attack this day and time. The nativity they call it. And you've got the picture of uh, sweet little Mary and and she looks like she just finished a 50 day fast. You know they put the little picture. They never show this big just delivered a baby uh, Mary. Sweet little girl you know. and she, She weighs about 15 pounds. They just traveled 70 miles <laughs> I wish they'd show the accurate nativity scene. They just traveled seventy miles on a donkey. Poor Joseph had to walk. And man, <laughs> I want to see wore out Joseph with holes in his garment and <laughs> about to die of thirst, walking through the Judean desert, coming from Galilee to. But anyway, we see the sweet little scene, you know, in Jesus, and we oh how sweet little Jesus in the manger. I mean, if you can, uh, I've never went in nobody's house and seen an old trough sitting over in the corner with some hay and put your little baby in it. I mean, this was bad conditions, really. But we make it seem so sweet, the little Lord Jesus and stuff like that. And that kind of endearing to our heart. And then we talk about the resurrection, not the resurrection, but the death, burial, and resurrection. And people begin to cry because here's this man, he's having his beard pulled out and a crown of thorns placed on his head. And uh, not just placed, but driven into his head, nails. And that makes us very sympathetic towards Jesus and towards and we begin to weep for him and if you saw somebody being mistreated if you saw two bullies beating up a boy out here in the yard you'd feel sorry for him i mean there'd be a there would be some endearment and some sympathy towards that uh, victim that would just uh, you you might cry for him you might take up for him whatever the case may be my little boy uh, was he was the biggest kid in the nursery up there and I, I'm amazed with my small stature that I could ever, my boy the biggest one but at any rate my boy was bigger than all them kids in the nursery and they was taking his fishies you know them little uh, snack things they gave him and they was bullying him and taking his little candy and taking his toys and stuff like that and there was like oh, them, them, kid, them little kids are bullying him. I said let them let them bully him let him push him around a little while toughen him, toughen him up a little bit amen and then when he gets tired of it it'll teach him to take up for himself and then it'll teach them other kids how to take a punch in the jaw amen he won't take that forever. But see, you know, but when we see somebody being bullied, we're very sympathetic. Amen? Boy, I was bullied a lot when I was a, a little kid. I'm a little man, but when I was a little kid and got bullied a lot. But, you know, I'm not going to cry about that. It taught me some good lessons. Amen? Toughened me up a little bit. And so this world is trying to make it where nobody has any hardship. You ever notice that? Yeah. Don't say anything about nobody's race. Or don't say anything about this. And we get so touchy about those things. Don't say nothing about a homosexual. Well, they need to be ridiculed a little bit. Amen? 
you know, different stuff like that. I mean, at some point in time, you know, it does become inconvenient and it does it doesn't have its place. But I understand, you know, some. I mean, I think the world would be better off if people would see uh, the things about themselves that need to be yeah. made fun of. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. 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 That goes for black people and white people and Amen. and everything else. Amen. But at any rate, I'm not going to get into that. What I want to get into this morning is the fact that uh, that Jesus has a different outlook about His death, burial, and resurrection than we do. We see Him, and all we cry, and and it, we should be physically affected by the brutality that Jesus Christ endured for our sins. But I want to give you something this morning that will maybe change the way you see it and the way you look at it. And if I could get you to do this you would improve your life. And if you was lost, you would get saved. If you're already saved, you would begin to consider your end and the end of others more than you have in the past. And if you was lost, you would get saved. I believe that. If you believed what, if you didn't believe it, you probably wouldn't get saved. I mean, you definitely wouldn't get saved if you didn't believe it. But if you believed, if you was lost without the Lord, you would get saved. I believe that. And maybe if you just, somebody read you a few verses and told you to pray a prayer, but no no change happened in your life, maybe it's because you felt sorry for this man that was getting crucified on the cross. Yeah, I guess I'll be on his side because after all, look at all the hardship he went through. So with that in mind, let's read this. Uh, chapter 23, Luke 23. Let me go ahead and pray and let's read. We'll start reading in verse number 27. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your goodness. Thank you for this congregation. And Lord, we ask you, God, to bless not only in here this morning, but over in the fellowship hall where they're having junior church. I pray that you'd help them and and bless over there. And Lord, I pray, God, that right here in this congregation, you'd speak to our hearts, help us to see the realities of not only our physical life, but our spiritual life, and that our lives have results and things are going to uh, affect us, depending upon our decisions and, and our mindset and different things like that. But Lord, I pray you'd help us this morning. Forgive me of my sins. I recognize uh, my fallibility. And Lord, uh, I recognize everything that disqualifies me from standing here. But I also recognize everything that qualifies me for standing here. And most of those have to do with you and your goodness towards me. And I thank you for that. And I pray, oh God, you'd bless this message and use it. And I pray, oh God, that everybody in the building would hear it and understand it. And I'll thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look in verse number 27. And what you realize here, I want you to, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but what you realize is Jesus has already been inspected by Pilate and by Herod. And he's been uh, chastised, he's been beaten by the Roman soldiers and the Roman guard. And he's been mocked and spit on, his beard been pulled out. And by the time you get to verse 27 here, they've already uh, put a cross on his shoulder. And they're, <clears throat> they're already uh, sending him away to be crucified. And so they're on their way from the judgment hall to Golgotha at this point. So we pick up in verse 27. It said, There followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. 
Now they see with this shape that Jesus, they see He's healed folks and He's, he's done good and he's, everything He said is good and He's lived a good life and He's lived a perfect life and He's done well for others and He has done everything that He possibly can to help other people. And so these people are now seeing Him on the way to the cross and I, I can't imagine, even though I've seen some artists renditions of it. I've seen Hollywood's rendition of it. And I don't think anybody has ever done justice to what they've done here. The Bible said he was marred more than any man. So there has never been an example. If you've ever seen anything terrible and gruesome, I hope you haven't. I've had, I've seen people with uh, I mean, been in the same room with people that's had their heads blowed off. I've been in the same room with people that's got their heads cut off. I mean, I've seen the people whose bodies have been mutilated in car accidents, and I have seen a lot of things. People that have been in gun battles that have been blown apart. I've seen all of that. And my Bible tells me that I have never seen any man that was as disfigured as Christ. The Bible said he was marred. His visage was marred more than any man. So even though I've seen some things and there may be some other men in the military or the police in this room that have seen men in bad conditions, but you've never seen anybody in as bad a physical condition as Jesus was in. Now think about that. I've seen some people in some pretty tore up mess. But when in their tore up condition, they wasn't walking. I've mashed my thumb with a hammer and laid down on the floor and cried and complained. I mean, it just incapacitates you. You probably know what I'm talking about, don't you? Well, Jesus took this sort of a beating to where his visage was marred more than any man, and then they still expect him to carry his cross. They didn't put him on a wagon and carry him out to be crucified. He walked, And the people that are following him seen him in this condition and began to weep. Just like anybody would. When you have the Easter plays and different things like that. Or you see the movies, the Passion of the Christ. If there's anything about you at all, you ought to be affected by that and weep over that. Because it's, it's a very sympathetic story. And so that's what's going on here. There followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. Now notice this, verse 28. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, Jesus turns to him and says, You're weeping for the wrong person. And I've got an idea that oftentimes as Christians, we're crying for Jesus when we're in the mess. And we read an account of his death, burial, and resurrection, and we're sorry for Jesus when Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Matter of fact, he'd done that on purpose. He didn't ask for our sympathy. Matter of fact, our songbook calls him the sympathizing Savior. I believe it's in the song that I was talking to Brother Nathan about this morning. He is a sympathizing Savior. He got himself into that position on purpose for our account. He done that for us. He done it willingly. Jesus said, "I'm going to lay my life down." So it's not something that just came upon him unexpected. If they waylaid him on the road to Jericho and drew him in and began to beat him and buffet him, but no, he put himself right where they, right where he knew they would find him. Matter of fact, not only that, he sent somebody to go tell him where he'd be. Judas Iscariot. So oftentimes we think about Jesus in a sympathetic light. But Jesus says, 
you're not supposed to be weeping for me. He said, you're supposed to be weeping for yourself. Weep for yourselves and for your children. And oftentimes we weep for Jesus when we see what he went through. And I'm not saying it's not something that should affect us. It's certainly Anybody should be affected by something like that. But most of the time we get so caught up in our sympathy towards Jesus. Yeah, I mean, after he done all that for us... I mean, after he'd done all that stuff, I guess we should serve him. Yeah, that's out of sympathy for him. Yeah. You've got it turned around. As the black girls say, you've got it twisted. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Yeah. You better think about this thing correctly for a little bit. Jesus died on the cross for you. It was for your sake that He died. So Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for Me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. You know, we're the ones in a mess. Now, I have to say this because all of us here are not lost. I hope none of us are lost. But even after we're saved, we're still in the flesh. And we're still subject to temptation. And we are still subject to make mistakes and errors and faults and sins. There's a whole bunch of things that we can fall into. Some things that are not sinful are just plain unwise to do. Amen? So, but, so Jesus said, look, this thing that I'm doing, I'm not doing this so you'll uh, cry over me or have sympathy for me or endear your heart to me. You've got enough trouble worrying about your little old self. And so He says... Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wounds that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Jesus said, It's going to potentially be bad enough for you that you'll be sorry you ever had children. Now think about that just a minute. That's pretty bad right there. Now Jesus, the Bible said, He came into His own and His own received Him not. Jesus is saying to these women of Jerusalem, He said, you folks that have rejected Me, these folks that have crucified Me, this nation that has turned their back on Me, hey, you see Me standing before you marred more than any man. My beard's been pulled out. My back's been whipped. I'm about to be nailed to a cross. But you ought to see what's going to happen down the road in your future. All because you hadn't put your faith and your trust in me. And that's exactly the the context of verse 29. He says the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren. He's talking about the tribulation period where God pours out His wrath on Israel for rejecting Him. And also not only Israel, but in the tribulation, God pours out His wrath on the whole world because of their relationship with the Catholic Church. That. Jezebel, that harlot in the book of Revelation. That's why the Gentiles are made part of the tribulation period. The time of Jacob's trouble spreads all around the world because of the influence of that, uh, that whore of Babylon, that uh, Catholic church. And so what he says here is there's going to be some days coming when you wish you would have believed on me. Yeah. Amen. So often we go out and we witness to people and say, Hey, if God, if, you, if, you'll, uh, if you'll trust Christ, look what Christ done for you, and how can you turn your back on a man that done this? Hey, how can you turn your back on a man that's trying to keep you from such a time in your future when you or your children are going to regret that they were born and they're going to regret that they had children? 
If the Lord tarries, and you know what I believe about when the rapture is going to take place. I don't believe it's going to be today or tomorrow or next week. Maybe that's a good thing. In such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. He might come right now, amen? It's a possibility. But I don't believe He's coming for another 200 years. I don't believe that. I, don't, I, believe that, I believe it's going to be a long time before He comes. I believe that He comes in the morning. I believe all 1,000 period, uh, 1,000 period, 1,000 year periods of time in your Bible mark out seven years in your Bible. Seven 1,000 year periods of history, and the Bible says joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Morning comes at six o'clock. As far as God's timeline goes, we are in that seven thousand period of time, that seventh one thousand year period of time. But we're just barely past midnight. It's not morning time yet. It's not morning time yet. I don't believe He's going to come soon. But if He comes, if He were to rapture us away right now, it's a possibility some of our children and maybe even some of us that are sitting here—not me—I'm saved. Amen? Amen. But if you're not saved, you and possibly your children would be facing a situation where they wish they had never born. See, we think it's so easy just to deal with people on the street and say, don't you want God to make you a better life? And that's kind of sympathetic and stuff like that. But hey man, the Lord, the Lord done everything that He done to keep you out of trouble. Well, you know, if there would have been some way I could have kept Jesus off the cross, I would have, hey, you're thinking about the... It's not you doing for Him, it's Him doing for you. This was to deliver you. The death of Jesus Christ was to deliver you from hardship. That's why we call it substitutionary death. He is dying in your place. A lot of times we're so sympathetic about the thing that we think we're in lockstep with Jesus or we're in, we're in unison with Jesus or, or we're in company with, or we're in business with Jesus. To make people feel sorry for him because look at all he done for us. And we use that from time to time. After all he's done for us, don't you want to do something for him? Hey, getting to know Jesus is doing something for yourself. You hate to say it like this because we don't want to be selfish. That's not a Christian attitude. Selfishness. But in a way you want to think about it a little bit in a selfish attitude. Jesus done what he done to help you out. Jesus, this was for your benefit. You say, oh, it's for my neighbor. Well, it's for you too. Yeah. Amen. Amen? Any of you folks got children? Yeah. Well, look what he says. He said, behold, the days are coming into which they shall say, blessed are the barren and the womb that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. I was talking to, what, uh, to my brother one time and there was a couple other people around and my brother kept asking me about the tribulation. And I said, well, this is going to happen? And he said, well, what about this? And I'd explain that. He said, well, no, I, then I don't understand this. And he would ask, just question after question. And 40, 40 minutes went by. We were talking about this stuff. And one of, the, one of the teenagers in our family said, hey, I need to get saved. And, and I was like, well, what? What? Kind of caught me off guard. He said, man, I don't want to go through that. Right. You know, oftentimes we deal with people about right now and have you ever lied and have you ever done this? Man, people know they're a sinner. Right. People know they're, even people that don't believe in God know that they come short. Right. When, but listen, we, we try to draw on people's sympathies and things like that, and I think sometimes we miss the point. Hey, the wages of sin is death. If you really believe that, you do your very best to stay away from sin. Yes. Yeah. You're right. 
Amen? I mean, listen, my flesh is not particularly... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, my flesh is not particularly repulsed by sin. And I don't think yours is either. The only thing that I have to stop me and to arrest my attention when I begin to meddle with sin is the consequences. My flesh is just like all flesh. My flesh standing behind this pulpit is the same flesh of the savage in South America or Africa who's never even seen a white man or a car or anything like that. If there remains any people like that, there may be, I don't know. But the savage in the jungle, is no their flesh is no different from mine. If I didn't have the law of God and the law of man to correct me, I reckon I'd be a cannibal and every other kind of savage there is too. Right. Amen. Thank God for your Bible. Amen. Amen. Well, my flesh, it's not repulsed by the things of the world. It doesn't say, oh, I would never do that. No, sir. My flesh is just like your flesh. But when we extend our view beyond the day that we live and we say, hey, there are going to be consequences for this down the road, then we begin to see things differently. If we're saved, we begin to clean up our life. The Bible says we purify ourselves even as we are pure. A lost man, just like that little boy that was sitting in the room, I say little boy, he was about 15 or 16, he was sitting there listening, hey, this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and this is going to happen. And basically, I wasn't saying this in those exact words, but what I was saying when I was telling my brother these things, all that boy heard was, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. There's going to come a day when you're going to regret being alive. And while we're alive in this world, this life is ours. I'm going to do what I want to. I'm going to make up my mind. I'm going to do what I feel I think is right. But what you've got to remember is we live in God's world. This world belongs to God. And it doesn't matter what I say about it. It doesn't matter what the Bible says about it. It doesn't matter what God says about it. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to come to the place where you decide, I'm going to submit myself to God. Yeah. And when you do that, you get God's results and godly results. Right. Or you're going to say, you're going to say, I'm going to do my own thing, and you're going to get the results for that. Yeah. And listen, I don't have to get upset or mad or get irate or do anything of the such in order to get that point across. I think to a certain extent, now maybe you need to be instructed in some things, but to a certain extent, you know all these things. You know right. exactly what's right and exactly what's wrong. And probably know the consequences of it. Even if you don't know the godly consequence. Some of you don't know anything about the judgment seat of Christ and what will happen to a believer after the rapture. Some of you don't know anything about that. But you know there's going to be some kind of consequence. I'm almost positive of that. I believe the Holy Ghost inside your heart when you get saved says, now there's there's something ahead. There's an account to be given. There's a reckoning to be Because God has set it up to where that's the case in all of our lives. There's a reckoning ahead. Saved, lost, adult, uh, child, man, woman. There's a reckoning ahead in our lives. And I think, I think once you get saved and the Holy Spirit is added to the conscience that God gave you when you was born, I think those things become abundantly clear, don't they? And here's Jesus. He has the sympathy... Of all these people on his way to the cross. And he turns around and says. You're weeping for the wrong person. Jesus does not want our sympathy. He doesn't want it. He wants our obedience. He wants our faith. And he wants our obedience. And so he says. 
there's going to come a time when you say, Blessed are the barren and the womb that never bare, and the paps which never gave suck. Verse number 30, Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Now this is why I know he's talking about the tribulation, is because this is found in the book of Revelation. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, uh, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. You have to be pretty desperate to say, Hey, I wish the mountains would just fall on me and kill me. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that the people who reject Christ are going to find themselves trying to take their own lives, but death will flee from them. And listen, that's just just a sentence that's laid out in your Bible. But God gave you a mind to think about with that kind of stuff. Now just think about that. People will look for death, but death will flee from them. You know what that means? That means that Hollywood is already setting you up for some things that are... 100% 100% going to take place on this earth. Now, not exactly like Hollywood puts it out. Don't get me wrong. But that Bible says some men will look for death. And death will flee from them. Now, just think about, just think about this in experiences you've already had in your life. I have had family members in my family. My cousins, various people like that, shoot themselves. To try to get out of this life. I have one particular cousin, her name is Karen, and she got tired of this life and she took a 38 snub-nosed pistol and put it to her head and pulled the trigger and lived. And she lived a miserable existence for the rest of her life. Now you're talking about in your Bible, in the book of Revelation, if you don't know where it's at, I'll tell you what you do, you go home and look for it, amen? But the Bible says they'll look for death and it'll flee from them. You're talking about people all over this planet who are putting guns in their mouth and pulling the trigger and not dying. You understand what kind of a society this is going to turn into? The Bible says that things in the tribulation are going to be so bad that people will will just about die from fear just about the things that are coming on the earth. But death will flee from them. I mean, seeing terrible, and, t- and it's not just monsters coming up out of the pit. It's talking about the things that they see. The Bible talks about that time as a time when the love of many will wax cold. People just don't have no love. How can somebody, Brother Mark was telling me about going over to South Africa. And in South Africa, since they turned that, that uh, part of the world over to Nelson Mandela, He said, when you leave your house in South Africa, you have to hire criminals to come and guard your house because if you don't have them do that, when you get home, you won't have no stuff left in your house. The the people in South, South Africa, they come up to a stop sign, they don't stop. They slow down to make sure a car ain't coming and they keep on going. You say, what happens if they stop? Somebody come over and rob them. Kind of like Florida, huh? <laughs> I hadn't heard nothing like that recently, but I remember one rash back in the 90s of people stopping at stop signs in Florida and getting shot. I don't, I don't remember exactly when that was, but I do remember hearing that on the news. Well, that's a daily occurrence. If you got money in South Africa, you hire somebody to walk around with your daughters and your wife because people get raped over there. You're talking about in the 90 percentile of women that have been raped. You, you realize what 90% is? That's a terrible percentage, is it not? 
Well, you're talking about right now when there's still the influence of the Holy Spirit, there's still the influence of the Bible in the world, there's still the influence of missionaries in the world. One of these days, all of that's going to be gone. And this world is going to turn into a mess. And I'm not being insensitive when I say we worry about our bills, and we should worry about our bills, and we should worry about our principles, and we should worry about getting, uh, you know, paying for food on that. We should be worried about those things. But we never think about weeping for ourselves. Man, our family is going to run into this. I mean, all, listen, all they've done is talked about banning some guns and instilled socialist health care in our country, and boy, I'm about to lose my mind. What's the world? My kids are going to grow up in a socialist nation. That's what I'm worried about. And I've not even. When you talk about socialized medicine and taking away guns, you're you're only scratching the surface of how bad things are going to get. Amen. And just throwing a little, uh, throwing just throwing a little wood on the fire here about that. You know how. South Africa, one of the ways South Africa got in the condition that it's in is because when Mandela took over, he said, if I find a gun in your house, we'll execute you. Now, they didn't say that on the 6 o'clock news. But we know missionaries that live there. And they made them take their guns out and throw them in the river. But the criminals don't throw their guns in the river. And the government don't throw their guns in the river. So now it's complete and total chaos. That's over there in Africa. That's because they're a bunch of black people. That's what most people think. Well, they get get rid of guns in in certain cities in our country and it turns into the same thing. Well, there's a lot that can be said about that. So what are you talking about, Brother Mike? Why are you saying all this? Because that's what we're heading for. That is what we're heading for. Listen, I may live another 20 or 25 years or 30 years maybe. I don't know. Don't know the math. Never done the math. I could die tomorrow. Amen. But I'll be 45 next month and the Bible says we've got 70 years. So in 20 or 30 years, I'm going to die if the Lord don't come back and then pass off the scene. My children are going to grow up and this world. I mean, if you just calculate the difference between 1970 and now and things are going on a good clip now and things are changing so fast now, there's no tellings what my little children are going to be involved in or putting up with in a society that has... 30 more years to go the devil's way. And the devil, listen, the devil has Christians' mouths shut because we're more interested in television than we are in getting the gospel out. We're more interested in resting on Thursday night than come out to a revival meeting. Amen? So Jesus, standing there beating and bleeding, says... You're crying for me. You're crying for the wrong person. It's a wise thing for us to consider our life and our children's life and to make sure we are what we are for Christ. I mean, the the society and the good times and the fellowship 
and the things that we enjoy as Christians, dinner on the grounds and week of meetings and fellowship and hearing good preaching, all that stuff that goes along with modern Christian life and the Christian concerts and the music, all that stuff that Christians enjoy today is all well and good in its place. But it has modern Christianity has replaced that old time zealous burden for souls that made this country what it used to be when we thought it was a good country. There, There has always been sinners. There's always been adulterers. There's always been bad men and murderers. There's always been corrupt politicians. There's always been bad things in our country. But there was a time when the Christians had a real zeal and a real power of God that impressed Christian values on the nation. That time is gone. And this nation is changing. And you will never get those principles and values back through a politician or a party. I don't mean Tea Parties. I mean Republican Party and Democrat Party. The power of God that makes an impact on a society comes from Christians Weeping over themselves. They have that weeping, you know what that really boils down to? A burden. Jesus is telling those women that's walking by weeping. He said, You same you ladies that are crying over me, you don't have a burden for yourself. You don't have a burden for your children. There's not a man in this building who wouldn't say, I've got to put food on my kid's table. There's not a man that wouldn't say that. If you, if you, if you would say that, if you would say, I'm not worried about my kid, then you ought to be beat. Amen. Amen? So there's not a man in here, I don't believe, that wouldn't take care of his family and do what's necessary for his children. Why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we be equally or mo- more so interested and making sure our children not only got a Christian direction in their life, but saw a Christian in us, mom and daddy. Amen. Why, why wouldn't we do that? That's what, Je- that's what, when Jesus went to the cross, His message was not, feel sorry for me and believe on me, because I need more friends. We, that's the way we approach Jesus. We think, oh well, everybody's against Him. We may as well be for Him. Jesus is not out trying to get people to be His friends. He's not asking you to like Him on Facebook. Amen? He wants you, he wants you to care enough about yourself and your children that you'll take advantage of why He's going through this beating. Why He's about to go to the cross. And boy, if you would get that, hey, Jesus did all that because I'm about to drop into the pits of hell. Then that sets things in a more realistic light. Did you know your emotions will go up and down? You can cry over, somebody talk about Jesus on the cross, and something just come over you, weep about that for 20 minutes. And then next time you hear something about it, say, well, that's pretty bad. And then the next time be weeping. Your emotions go up and down. Jesus is not asking you for emotional response. Except for for yourself. Man, if you see what you're heading for. Amen? Ruth and I know a young lady and we talked to her a little bit this past week and Ruth knows her better than I. Ruth grew up with her. If she would have only seen what the drugs was going to do to her. Now she's, she's waiting to die. 
she's just waiting to die. And it, I'm, sure, I'm almost positive that when somebody, the first time somebody handed her a needle, I'm almost positive if she would have said, this is going to kill me. I'm almost positive she would have turned it away. But she wasn't weeping for herself. She wasn't concerned about herself. Except for having a good time. So, in went the needle. Now she's got, what is that stuff called? Hepatitis. And she's got a, a lot of other complications with her organs because of the drugs that she took and the activities that are going along with She was having a great time. So she thought. She wasn't weeping over herself. And now she's sitting in church, raising her hands when the singers are singing and saying amen. And she's on her way to a grave. Boy, I wish the Lord would heal her. And I'm not saying the Lord can't heal her. If she went to church here, I'd have us a, a oil anointing, fault confessing service. We'd do our best to get rid of that. Amen? She don't go to church here. But I know this. I know she wasn't weeping for herself. She wasn't worried about her condition when she got into that mess. You know, there are some. there's a cold-hearted way of looking at that. Well, she should have known better. Shouldn't she have known better? It's hard to be that cold and callous though, ain't it? Amen? But the cold hard fact of the matter is, if she would have just thought, if she would have just weeped for herself, before she, if she was just concerned about her own outcome before she went into that. And you can apply that all across your life. All across your spiritual life. All across your physical life. And then verse number 31 kind of puts the capstone on it. He said, for if they do these things in a green tree, what should be done in the dry? What that means is, uh, Jesus, the power of God, the Son of God, the image of God was standing right there in front of them. It was like, there's power, there's life, there's energy, there's something physical that they could touch, there's illustrations that they could look at. He said it's like a green tree. And they're cutting that green tree. Down. It's, a, it's a live tree. It's a useful tree. And they just, he said if they'll do this then, what's going to happen when the tree's dried up? When there's no power? If they kill a righteous man when the power of God is standing in front of them, what's going to happen when there's no power? That's Second Thessalonians chapter 2. When he that restrains is taken away. When the restrictive power of God is gone. When Christ no longer is present. When his influence is no longer present. When the church is gone. What's this world going to turn into? Whatever it's going to turn into, some of our children are going to be here. It's not mine. All mine's going to get saved. I hope that's true. Amen. That depends on what you do right now. Right. That depends on what you do. Hey, don't let them see you lay out of church just because you're tired. Don't let them see you cuss just because you're angry. Don't, listen, don't let them see you fuss at one another, mom and daddies, just because you don't agree with one another. Don't, Don't engender the junk and the strife and the filthiness of this world into their life because you don't know how far it'll take them. So, well, I can't be super parent all the time. You better try. You better try. 
Because when the Bible says the wages of sin is death, that is going to come home to your house one of these days. And to mine. I'm not some holier than thou standing up here. It's all going to be on you. We all owe this to ourselves. That sounds like such a stingy statement. I swear it does. But Jesus done this for us. So we owe it to ourselves to weep for ourselves and have a burden for ourselves. And if you don't care about sin and its results in your life or righteousness and its results in your life, then I doubt very seriously you're going to care about sin and its result in your neighbor's life. Amen? Boy, I hope that makes sense. I mean, this probably ain't a sermon like you've ever heard before, but I hope you understand it. I didn't point by point this and that, but this is an idea that I think is very necessary for us. Is to, hey, we can't do something for us. We can't get the 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 beam out of somebody else's eye till we get it out of our own. This life that we claim to believe in applies to us as much as it does all them sinners out there in the world. Amen? So we got to weep for ourselves. Get a burden for ourselves. Then we can get a burden for our children and then for others. Boy, I know I've come a long way. I've come short a long way of of saying this, probably how it should be saying. But I hope that the Lord got the point across to you this morning, Heavenly Father. We do thank you for your goodness, Lord. I ask now that you'd deal with hearts and draw hearts forward, dear God. We live in a time now where we need men and women that are strong enough to make a stand in church and strong enough to make a stand out in the world. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd deal with hearts and lives. Help us to see the importance of this thing. We may have circumstances in our lives that will make us happy or make us depressed. But Lord, there will be circumstances out there in our future that's going to be so real and so terrifying and so terrible. And you've done everything already, Lord, to get us out of it, to deliver us from it, to relieve us from some of the uh, terrible things that go along with living in this world. And so, Lord, I pray, God, you'd help us as a church to realize it. Lord, I pray you'd help us, dear God, to realize that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection was for us. It was for our sakes and not for your own sake. And, Lord, we thank you, dear God, that these things are true. I pray, God, you'd deal with each heart now. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Brother Nathan, go and come and play a little bit. Listen, if you would, how about coming and getting around the altar and say, Lord, help me. I don't know what's in your family. You may have the best family on the planet. I'm not, I'm not talking about this morning. I'm not talking about how you've been up to this point. I'm talking about going forward. Because time's going to go forward. This life's going to go forward. So while he plays, would you come? Say, God help us. God help me. God help my family. God help my children. God help my neighbor. God help this town. God help this state. If we don't have a burden, who's going to have it? Some bigger church can do it. No, we've got to do it. Amen? Would you come while he plays? Would you come?
Thank you.